Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Louis Torres. Let's pray together as we study God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. And uh, may your Spirit be the one to guide our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A lady called us up, my wife and I, and she, she had a problem. And the problem was that she had a lot of, a lot of jewelry very expensive jewelry. It turned out that she was uh, one of the few ladies that climbed up the corporate ladder of Playboy. And when she was climbing up the ladder, she really wanted to get to the top. She assumed that getting up there, uh, it would be a very glorious experience. But when she got up on the top, she discovered it was not very glorious after all. In fact, she was quite uh, discouraged, disappointed. Initially, she was very excited, but as her eyes were open, she recognized that climbing the corporate ladder was really not what she had hoped it would be. In the Bible, there is a story about a ladder. And we'd like to look at that particular story. It begins in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me into your Bibles. It's about the great patriarch whose name is Jacob. Jacob has a dream, it says. And he saw what? A ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached up to heaven. And behold, the angels of God descended, or ascended and descended up into heaven. What's interesting about this particular story, and let's read it from uh, verse 10 through 15. Are you there in your Bibles? Good. Look at it at, from verse 10. And it says uh, in that particular chapter 28 that Jacob was actually traveling. And he arrived uh, at a place that he didn't know where he, where he was actually uh, landing, except that he was going to Haran. Now, if you know where Haran is today... You know that Haran is over in the, what we call Iraq today. And Jacob, it says, got to a place where uh, there's no name. It says a certain place. You see that? And he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. It's interesting that there were no inns, there were no motels, no hotels. Um, and the only thing he had for a pillow was not a Marriott uh, foam pillow. You know, the Marriott Hotel. 
but rather it was a stone. I don't know how many of you have ever slipped on, with a stone under your head. Any of you? I have. It's not a good experience. So, verse 12, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou lieth, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Later on, he actually gave the place the name called Beth-El, which actually means the dwelling place of God or the house of God. Somehow he assumed that he happened to stumble onto the actual place where God dwelt. And that's why he called it Bethel. Now, the scripture then reveals that in his tracks, he... Uh, finally came to the place where he could not continue to move on because it was dark. And again, no flashlights and nothing to use to uh, brighten your way. So the only thing he could do was sleep. He probably was exhausted because I don't know how many of you have been to that part of the world, but it's very dry, very hot during the daytime. God, however, told him that from his seed, he would have uh, the privilege of being a father like the, the seed that shall be like the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. I will keep thee in all the places whither thou wilt. Goeth and will bring thee here again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken unto thee of. Jacob then has a dream. How many of you have had dreams that are so real that uh, somehow you feel like you've actually been there? Any of you? It's just amazing how it is that the mind can uh, put together things that make it so real. And so Jacob has a dream, and I know that sometimes I have had dreams, uh, but I couldn't tell if they were actually true or not. In fact, one time I had a dream. I was in New York City, of all places, and had a dream that a, a man way over the islands of Palau would become president. And when I woke up, it seemed like I was there, like I had seen him become president. And the, the strange thing about it was that I felt like I should write the man and tell him I had the dream he would become president. And then I felt that I shouldn't do it because if I wrote the letter and it sent it to him and it didn't come true, I would look silly. You understand? So sometimes you have those dreams, and Jacob had a, an unusual dream. Who saw that ladder? It was Jacob. Now, there's some very interesting things about this particular dream that we need to see. Jacob was running from home, fleeing for his life because his brother was very angry at him. The reason his brother was angry is because... Esau was supposed to have the birthright. You remember that. 
And Esau uh, was told by Jacob, pardon me, by Isaac, his father, to go and, and come back and, with some, and make some venison so he could eat, and then he'll bless them. And while he was gone, the mother uh, decided that that was not going to happen, that Jacob should have the birthright, even though Esau was the oldest one. So while they were gone, while he was gone off hunting, Jacob was told by his mother to put on some hair on the back of the nap of his neck and put some hair on his hand. You remember the story. And then uh, he couldn't change his voice, however. So when he came to his father and his father asked him the question, he acted like he was who he was not. His father then believing him simply because he felt his nap and felt the, the hair and uh, felt his arms and he had hair. He thought, oh, sure enough, this must be my son. And so he blessed him. And as soon as he blessed him, he, he uh, got out of the tent and his, his uh, brother came with the venison only to discover that he had come back too late. And he became so angry that he decided he was going to kill his brother. And Jacob then had no alternative than to go where? His mother sent him to his family's home back in Haran, where Abraham had come from. So Jacob then flees for his life. He's running, running, running. He gets fatigued, gets tired, and he runs, gets to this place. He falls asleep, and then he has a dream. Now... Jacob stole the birthright. In reality, it was supposed to be his because his brother had actually given him the birthright. Do you remember that? Because his brother came back hungry one day and, and Jacob had had some lentils cooking and the brother said, look, give me some lentils. And Jacob said, you can have them if you give me the birthright. Ah, who needs that birthright? You go ahead. You can have it and I'll have the lentils. Well, in reality, Jacob should have had the birthright because his brother gave it to him. But even though the brother did that, he still wanted the birthright. So Jacob and, uh, now is in trouble. He's fleeing for his life. He's tired, he's fatigued, and he lies down. So by this time, is Jacob a good boy or a bad boy? Well, you have to answer me. Is he a good boy or a bad boy? How many of you have lied to your parents? Any of you? You mean none of you have ever lied to your parents? I know better than that. How many of you have lied to your parents? If you didn't raise your hand, you're not telling the truth. All right. So Jacob lied to his parents. Sometimes we, we look at what happens in the Bible and we think, why was God apparently seeming so harsh so demanding that, you, you know, you do something as small as this is kind of sibling rivalry, right? And why would God uh, treat people like that? Well, do you remember uh, the story of Adam and Eve, right? Yes? Now, Adam and Eve were told not to do what? Not to go and take the fruit from the tree. Uh, how many of you have been told not to take the cookie from the cookie jar? How many of you have had parents bake something, uh, some pastry, some dessert, and then tell you not to touch it? Any of you? Now, now that you're raising your hand again. So, 
You've been told not to do it. Your mom leaves the kitchen. And what's in your mind? After all, she made so many, she probably can count them, right? So she would not miss one if you take that one. So uh, you finally go to that cookie jar. And you're looking around hoping that mom is not watching. And you raise yourself up. And what do you do? You grab it. And while you are just about ready to munch on it, you hear footsteps. Who's coming? Mom's coming. Where would you like mom to be at that moment? Near you or far away from you? Far away from you. So mommy catches you in the very act. And she says to you, because you've taken the cookie jar, you're going to have to lose your life. Gonna have to what? You're gonna have to die for what you just did. Now you're looking at me, kind of. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? Whoever kills a little girl for taking a cookie from the cookie jar, right? Here's the problem with 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 us. We have become so accustomed to sin around us that when we look at something like that, we think it's quite minimal. And now I should say this to you. I don't know any parent that would, uh, that would take the life of a child because they took a cookie from the cookie jar. But in reality, in reality, what did Eve do? How many fruits did she take? One. And what did God say? If you take it, you will what? You will surely die. So are we more compassionate than God is as parents? Sometimes when we read stories like that, and I bring questions like that to you, you begin to think, well, you know, this is kind of a severe issue, right? It's very serious. And the reason why it's serious is this. And I don't want to us to assume that I'm suggesting that the little child should be punished for taking the cookie from the cookie jar, even though most of the times there's some kind of a, a discipline that is ministered. I know my mother did. Because we were six boys growing up with my single mother. And she always had the problem of having to hide stuff when she would either bake or buy it. The reason she did that is because we were always like hound dogs. Sniffing out all the goodies that she would buy. And she had a very difficult time hiding stuff from us. You understand? So she would always say, I don't want you to touch it. You understand? You hear me? And she always had a broomstick. Okay. I don't want you to touch it. All right. So we would then figure out how to touch it without her knowing that we touched it. Now, I'll never forget one time I was very thirsty. I just came up from playing out in the streets. It was summertime, and it was very hot. New York City can get very hot because of all the brick and all the asphalt and all that. And when I opened the refrigerator, I was delighted to see a large bottle of Coca-Cola. And as I looked at the large bottle of Coca-Cola, I thought, boy, am I going to have a pleasant time. It's nice and cool, 
Coca-Cola sweet. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to drink as much as I can of it. So I looked here and I looked there, and I picked up that bottle and put it to my mouth to take a huge, huge gulp, only to discover it was black coffee. <laughs> it was what? It was black coffee. Mercy. But listen, the reality is this, that we have become so accustomed to evil that what is evil doesn't appear to be evil anymore to us. Is that true? And many times what happens is that the laws change in our country. It used to be in America that it was a criminal offense to smoke marijuana. It was a what? A criminal offense to smoke marijuana. Today, it is what? It is medicine. It is what? It is medicine. So what's happened? My pastor one time told me that the criminal, that the, the, the crime level had decreased in America. The what? The crime level had decreased in America. And I knew better. He was not from New York City. I was. He was from some state in Washington State where people are a little bit more civil than New York City. So when he said crime had decreased, I thought something's gone wrong with him. And here's what I discovered. What I discovered is that the laws had been changed. The what? The laws had been changed. So whereas before something was a crime, now it was no longer a crime, it was a misdemeanor. So then if you, could, if you look at the charts, it appeared like crime had actually decreased. But it had not decreased. The laws had been lessened. And because the laws had been lessened, then things that used to be wrong were no longer wrong. Jacob knew better, however. He knew that what he was doing was wrong, and still he did it. And so he's fleeing, he goes over, and his sin that he committed actually caused a separation between him and his family. The scripture says, but you're what? Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not what? Here. Sin is something that is, that is terrible. It's because of sin that we're in the mess that we are today. Is that correct? Because of sin that there's uh, breakups of families. Because of sin that there's racism and prejudice and murder. Uh, all sorts of atrocities are going on around our world. Uh, terrible diseases are increasing. Everything seems to be going quite wacky every place that I go. Things are deteriorating, societies, morals, etc. Um, things are pretty serious out there. The scripture says that sin has a tendency to separate. Just like that little girl who went to take the cookie, where did she want her mother to be at that moment? Away. Sin separates. Do you agree with that? It creates a, a, a division that is uh, unnatural. 
And this happened to Jacob. His sin separated. In fact, we understand that when Jacob returned back home, by this time, the mother who encouraged him to do what she, was, what she encouraged him to do was no longer alive. Once he left home, he never, ever saw his mother again. That sin brought about a great separation. But listen. The scripture says then, he feared that uh, he had lost forever the blessing that God had purposed to give him. And who was there? Satan was at hand to press temptations upon him. So Jacob had a troubled conscience, a troubled mind. He's fleeing for his life. Uh, he doesn't ever know if he'll ever get back home. And he's alone in darkness and uh, troubled. What did he see then? He saw the, the ladder. He dreamed and saw the ladder. Now, where was the bottom of that ladder? Where? Where he was. Where did it go? Where he was. That's where they, well, it went down to where he was. Correct? Now, remember that Jacob was not the good boy. He's running as a bad boy. And even though he's running as a bad boy, he just committed basically a crime against his father and against his family. And now he has this dream, and the latter of all places is reaching down where he is. It's amazing. What do you say? It's amazing. Where was the top? In heaven. All right? Now, let's consider something. Who was on the top? The Lord. So Jacob's on the bottom. The ladder's reaching where he is. The top is, reaches to heaven. And who's on top? Is the Lord. Okay? And behold, the Lord stood about him. Now, when you consider what's happening then, Jacob was on the bottom of the ladder. God was on the top of the ladder. But who did that ladder actually represent? Who did it represent? Later on, we find a commentary in the New Testament concerning that, and here's what it says. Hereafter you shall see heaven, what? Open. And who? And the angels of God doing what? Ascending and descending upon who? The Son of God. Whether we realize it or not, heaven is interested in you. In who? In you. And because heaven is interested in you, God had to arrange a mechanism or a way by which he could still maintain contact with earth so that mankind could find hope and salvation. And that bridge that was created between heaven and earth was bridged by Christ. By who? By Christ. The Bible says then that Jesus became that link between heaven and earth. In fact, here's what I've discovered throughout the scriptures, that all communication that we receive from heaven, how much? All. And speaking from the biblical perspective, all communication we have from heaven is because of the link that has been established between heaven and earth 
through that ladder. And that ladder represents who? Jesus. Now, what was the ladder for? Why did God bring that ladder there to Jacob? Well, the ladder was to what? Connect heaven and earth. I have a house and the, the my roof is about two stories high. And I have to use a ladder to get up there. It connects me from the sidewalk all the way up to the roof. Okay. So the purpose of the ladder is to connect. Do what? Connect. Question. Jacob. Did he feel connected at that time? No. He felt very disconnected. Very lost. Troubled conscience. Troubled heart. He had just committed a sin against his family. And in that condition, he is fleeing for his life. And God of all things gives him a dream to help him to realize that even though what he did was wrong, God had not abandoned him. And that's good news. What do you say? God had not abandoned him. Which is very good news. He knows each what? Each individual by name and cares for each as if though there were not another upon the earth for whom he gave his beloved son. What's amazing about God is this, that he knows exactly where you are. He knows where you live. He knows what you're doing. I travel all around the world all the time. Somebody was just asking me, um, how much time do I spend at home? And my wife says about uh, three months or five months, pardon me. We travel about seven months out of the year. So, so far... In my travels, I've been to Romania, to the Philippines twice, uh, Michigan, up to... I mean, I've been doing a lot of traveling. I just came from Palau. I was in the Palauan Islands, which is uh, just north of us, about four hours north, about three hours north. And here I am. I came in yesterday. So I do a lot of traveling. Now, what, what, what's important to me is to know that God knows where I am. Now, why is that important? Because when I fly, I don't know who's flying. But I know who's in control. So I always pray that God will help me. Listen, but I've learned this fact a long time ago. When I was in in show business and in performing with a group called the Vampires, one particular night, the gang that was following us, a fan club, like the Hells Angels. You've heard of the Hells Angels, I'm sure. Um, So this gang was uh, with us, and this particular time they decided that they were going to have what they call a drug party. So after the performance at 4 o'clock in the morning, we went up to the apartments where they had this drug party, and we began to participate in all that was being offered for free. And after everybody was inebriated, intoxicated, high, whatever term you want to use, somebody raised a question. Who is God? What a question. 
to be raised by hoodlums, gang members, criminals. What's the question? Who's God? And we spent the whole night trying to figure out God. And it was in that particular place that I remember hearing for the first time what the Bible reveals about the fall of man, Adam and Eve, and what happened, and the, the whole plan of salvation as revealed in the scriptures. It was in a drug party that I heard that. It was not in a church. We were not good boys. What's amazing about God is that he's interested in every single one of you. How many? Every single one of you. Sometimes, like Jacob, we may feel abandoned. We may feel like an orphan. We may feel like, uh, who am I? Because we do things in life, we may feel like God is not interested in us any longer. But the reality is this. is as this story reveals, that God indeed knows where I am, what I'm doing, and what I need. What do you say? I know he knew where Paul was. Paul was going around murdering uh, Christians. People who had become changed from Jews to becoming believers in Christ. And he was going around finding them and it didn't matter if they were men or women or whatever. And he would lock them up or get uh, executed. And finally, God that struck him blind and he was told to go to a certain place in Damascus. And he happened to live on what kind of, what was the name of the street? What was it? Straight. Not crooked, but what is it? It's straight. God intended to send Paul straight. And sometimes we come to God crooked. How do we come to God? Crooked. But what does God want to do? He wants to straighten us out. Sometimes we don't like to be straightened out. But we need to be straightened out. And God has to use extraordinary measures to help us to come to the realization that we need God in our lives. So when I left that drug party, I was driving and all of a sudden a very terrifying thought struck me. If there is a God, I'm in serious trouble. Did I like that thought? No, I didn't want to retain the thought. I just shoved it aside and kept going with my wild life. But God was trying to speak to me, and I did not even know it was the voice of God. I was completely ignorant about God, didn't believe in God, didn't know there was a God. I was just basically uh, immersed in show business. Later on, I'll tell you my story, but I was finally ended up performing with Bill Hill in the Comets. And I think some of you remember Rock Around the Clock, the song Rock Around the Clock. How many of you remember Bill Hayden in the comments? Okay. I know that here, our, the people who were trying to imitate us was Johnny O'Keefe. Because I met his bass player one time. I was speaking up in Newcastle. His bass player came to me and introduced himself to me because he was imitating what we were doing in show business. So I had no knowledge of God. I had no interest in God. I was not spiritual and all that. But was God interested in me? Was the answer. Yes or no? Yes. yes, he was. Was God interested in Jacob? Yes. yes, he was. Did God know what Jacob was? Yes, yes he did. 
Does God know where you are? Yes, yes he does. So he sent Ananias to go and find Paul and told him specifically where Paul was. Go to the street named Straight and you'll find him there. Peter, likewise. Peter was down in Joppa and God shook up this uh, centurion and told him that if he needed to know about God, that he needed to send for a guy named Peter. And he specifically said, you need to find the guy named Peter who is lodging with a tanner named Simon, and he's down in Joppa. So did God know where Peter was? Yes or no? And it's interesting that with Peter, God gave him a dream just where Peter was. Again, to help Peter understand that he needed to give up his racism and to accept Gentiles as people who were people of God. And so Peter was shaken up by that dream. He didn't understand what the dream was all about. And then it says that the Holy Ghost, if you read it in chapter 10 of Acts, it says that the Holy Ghost said to Peter, Peter, there are three guys that are looking for you, and I want you to go down and don't ask any questions, for I've sent them. Did God know where Peter was? Absolutely. Does God know where you are? Yes. Now... The scripture then reveals then that the relationship between God and each soul are as what? As distinct and what? Full as though there were not another soul on the earth to share his watch care. Not another soul for whom he gave his son, his beloved son. I didn't understand that until I had a conversion experience. When you are a stranger to divine influences... You have no idea what's going around you. Because all you know is what you feel, what you can see. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have no, no, uh, the, the, your, your, your gigabytes are not uh, act, uh, activated. So you're only dealing with rams. With what? Rams. But it's when the Spirit of God touches you that Somehow it connects the dots in your brain and you become spiritually aware that there's something else besides the material substance that you can see and feel. That's when you really become uh, awake to the reality that there's another dimension out there that you are not aware of. And it's a rude awakening. Because you remember the thought I have. If there's a God, I'm in what? I'm in trouble. And I didn't want to think that I was in trouble. Therefore, God could not have any part in my life. Jacob was not looking for God at this time. Jacob was simply trying to preserve his life. And God in his mercy was seeing him fleeing. And God was watching as Jacob finally fell asleep. And then mercy, God tenderly revealed to him a dream to help him to realize that God knew that Jacob was there. He was not abandoned as he supposed. He was not left to himself as he thought. But even though Jacob did not sense or realize the presence of God, it did not mean that God was not there. Are you listening to me? 
Jacob then became aware that there was something miraculously taking place in his life. And it's, it's clear then that Jacob did not feel what? Good enough. And the biggest challenge that humanity has, as I had when I was a little child, because I, I was brought up Catholic to begin with. I now understand that I'm Jewish, but in those days I was brought up Catholic. And as I was being brought up, I remember being taught things that were erroneous. But however, as a little child, I accepted them because that's what I was taught. Do you understand? And so, uh, I grew up with the idea that in order for God to accept you, that you have to become good enough. Had to become what? Good enough. And that you had to do religious things to be good enough. So I remember having to go to the, to the entrance of the church and go to that little place that had water, holy water, and put my finger in it and cross my forehead. Did I remember then that I had to go and before I can go and sit in the pew, I had to kneel outside the pew and uh, say the Hail the Hail Mary or the Our Father or say a short prayer or cross myself. Okay. Then I remember I had to go in there and then kneel again and again cross myself. Any of you uh, relate to what I'm saying? How many of you here have either been Catholic or Catholic, etc.? So you know what I'm talking about, right? And so, then, I remember that the nuns would tell me that I was not going up, but I was going down. I was going where? I was going down. Why? Because I was not good enough. And I remember all the focus that they gave on the devil. On who? On the devil. And they would describe them as, you know, this heinous thing with two horns and a pitchfork and it was red and all that. And it scared me so much as a little boy that I would not walk up to my bed because it was dark underneath there. And that suspicion that the one who they described was hiding under there and that if I walked up to my bed, he would grab me by my legs and pull me under. And so you know what I would do? I would run and take a leap and jump on my bed. That would guarantee me that he could not grab me under. So he never did, because here I am, right? All my leaps were successful. But the reality, folks, is this. That this idea that you have to work your way to heaven does not really reveal the true God who is in heaven. It is not about how good we can become in order to be accepted. It is about how good God is to accept us. What do you say? It is He who has compassion on us, even though we may not be aware that He's even existing or that He loves us or cares for us. Jacob was a, a, an alien, a stranger to divine influences. Even though his parents were religious, Being religious does not make you spiritual. Did you hear what I said? Being what? Being religious does not make you spiritual. Even though his parents were religious, yet 
Jacob had not yet come to an understanding of the reality that God was real, a real person who cared for human beings and who longed to draw them to him. And so when Jacob was fleeing, when he was a bad boy, when he had just done the the wrong thing, God revealed himself to Jacob to let him know that, Jacob, I understand your lot. I understand your situation. And I want you to know that I'm interested in you and that I will be with you wherever you go. And when you come back, I'll give you the place where you're lying. The gracious God that we serve, what do you say? I was doing a seminar one time in uh, Baltimore, New York, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And in, in that seminar, it was called GYC, Generation of Youth Congress. I think there were about 5,000 young people there. And I was asked to do a, uh, a class on how to reach people for Christ. And so in my particular class, uh, there was about what, uh, 400, 500 people. I needed somebody to use to uh, role play for me when I was teaching them. I needed them to see a visible demonstration of what I was trying to uh, help them understand. And there was a lady sitting in the audience, and she was sitting uh, actually in a second pew. She was well-dressed, looked like a Philadelphia lawyer. For those of you who are not acquainted with that term, if to be a Philadelphia lawyer means you're a very good lawyer, okay? She was well-dressed, looked like a Philadelphia lawyer. So I said to her, I was impressed that I should ask her. So I said, would you mind coming up and helping me? She kind of looked around like, no, I said, you, you. I said, yes, she said, okay. So she came up. We sat down together in front of those 500 people, and I began to walk her through the steps of accepting Christ. As I'm doing that, uh, I didn't realize that that lady was struggling. Was what? She was struggling. I had no idea. It turned out that she was not uh, a member of the church, and she was a lawyer of all things. But she was more than a Philadelphia lawyer. She was a lawyer from Washington, D.C. Okay? So, whoops. <laughs> so now I'm talking to a lawyer. Okay. And... Finally, I shared with her Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You know that text? You want to look at it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? And knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will what? I will come into him and sup with him and him with me. I read that to her. Then I, I asked her the question. I said, Is there anything that you feel would keep you from inviting the Lord into your life? And I saw a tear come to her eyes. She said, I'm not good enough. What did she say? She said, I'm not good enough. So then I asked her the question. I mean, this is a a lawyer, a professional woman who is working in Washington, D.C., Highly trained, living a good moral life, but she felt that her life was not sufficient. Did you hear what I said? She wasn't good enough. 
He wasn't good enough. So I asked her the question, have you tried to become good enough? What do you think her answer was? Yes. I asked her then, have you succeeded to become good enough? What do you think was the answer? No. Then I asked her the next question. If you, with all your understanding and wisdom and knowledge and intellectual powers, have not been able to become good enough in your own strength, then who do you need in your life so you can't become good enough? That was a new question she hadn't thought about before. And immediately, as tears are falling, she says, I need God in me. I said, that's precisely correct. As long as you think you could become good enough in your own strength, you will never achieve it. Because there's no human being that's able or capable to become good enough to be accepted before God. Because you're dealing with a holy God. You cannot become good enough by yourself. So who do you need in your heart in order for you to become good enough? She said, I need Jesus. I mean, the attorney, God, I didn't have to wrestle with her. She immediately understood. I got it. I need God in me so I can become good enough. Because he is the only one that could make you good enough. You cannot do it in your own strength. And when she saw that, I said, is there anything that would keep you from inviting the Lord into your life so he could make you good enough? She said, no. I said, would you like to invite him? And then the audience realized this was not a role play. This was actually real. We knelt down together. And that dear woman prayed and asked God to come into her life so she could become good enough. And when we stood up, the tears were flowing with joy. She had now finally understood that she did not have to be struggling to have God in her life by her becoming good enough. She had to, by faith, accept that one can only become good enough when one accepts the Lord. So, the ladder. The ladder is there to connect you between heaven and and earth. He is given so that you can reach that level that is acceptable before the Father. You can become good enough through Christ. That's why it says in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's in your bulletin a little insert. Did you see it? It's white. What color is it? It's white. And I wonder how many of you here have been struggling, 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 
hoping, wishing somehow that God could accept you. And now you see that the problem is not that God can't accept you, but rather that you need to accept him. Because he has already accepted you. He has already made the provisions. He has already paid the, the price. All you have to do is believe. Do what? Believe. And I wonder if some of you, if you need one that you've lost the one you have, have been uh, challenged with this sense that maybe, maybe God is distant from you. And today you realize that he is where you are. He knows who you are. He knows your needs. He knows your struggles. He knows how to take care of your life. And today you'd like to say, Lord, in heaven, I'd like to check my decision for Jesus. I want the experience of sensing that you are real. And I'd like to check it off there. I want to accept you into my life. Can you take that and fill it out? Point number three. There are three points, but the last one in particular. There is, uh, how many of you know Jeff Yolden? Any of you know Pastor Jeff Yolden? He's going to be here in July 19 at 7 p.m. in a special dinner with Jeff. He will, he's the host of Beyond the Search, you know, the DVDs. And the pastor would like to know how many of you are interested in attending that. Would you check it off? Now you're saying, oh, I didn't know that that paper was for all of that. Well, now you can pick it up again. Do you have it? Who does not have one of the papers? If you don't have it, then get one and put there, pre-register. What does it say? Pre-register. If you want to be in that particular dinner when Jeff Yulden, Pastor Jeff Yulden comes, then put your name and your contact information so the pastor can then provide for you the entry. The what? The entry. In both cases, you don't have to be good enough. In both cases, you actually simply just accept. You what? You accept. As you're doing it, I'll show you with you one more experience. I was in China recently. And I was teaching 75 Chinese pastors about helping people come to Christ. As I was teaching them, I needed um, somebody to run through the same thing that I did with that attorney. By the way, that attorney was so grateful. She gave me a big hug. She said, when I was a little girl, I used to go to church. She said, but I got into the things of the world, professional, a career, etc. And she said, in the back of my mind, I always felt like I wish I could be close to God, but I, I can't be. She said, thank you for helping me today realize that God is more anxious for me to be with him than, than I am. And so 
She gave me a big hug. Well, in China there, it turned out there was a Buddhist in our midst. I didn't know he was a Buddhist. And so happened that I picked him. So he came up, and I went to the steps of helping him understand the reality how God is so anxious to come into our lives. And I remember the Buddhist, he was a young man, 45-year-old young man. And he said to me, he said, this true? I said, yes, it is true. He said, God want to be in me? I said, yes. He started crying. He said, no, God don't want to be in me. What was he saying by that? I'm not good in that. No, God cannot be in me. And he began to weep. And I said to him, the reality is, young man, that God is more anxious to be in you than you know. You don't have to think that you have to become good enough in order to have the God of heaven be in your life. You have to simply recognize that you need him in your life. He said, that's all? I said, that's all. I said, would you like to invite him at your heart? He said, I can invite him in my heart? I said, yes. Yeah, what do I do? I said, we kneel down together. What do I say? I said, just simply say, Lord, thank you for wanting to come into my life. Please come in, into my life, and lead my life. That all? I said, it's that simple. He knelt down and prayed in his, in his uh, broken English way. A simple request for God to come into his life. And when he stood up, the young man was just elated that somehow in, in Providence, he happened to be in a meeting where he could learn the reality that it's not about how good you are. It's about how great God is to be with you. How many of you are thankful that we serve that kind of a God? I am. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercies, your kindness. We think of these stories that you have in your Bible, not just to fill pages, but because of our great need to understand and to know that you are a God who longs to be with your children. You provided the way through your Son. And we're grateful that it is simply a matter of opening our hearts to you and that you will, as you have promised, enter and lead us in our lives. Thank you for being such a glorious, wonderful God who watches out for his children. In Jesus' name, amen.
This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. That's Wallara, W-O-O-L-L-A-H-R-A, church.org. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.